This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now. As you guys can be seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the 20th chapter of John. Easter is the most glorious day of all, and so today we're going to look at John's account of the resurrection of Christ and talk about what that means for, for our lives. John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 22. We're talking about new creation, new power, and new mission. John chapter 20, and we're going to begin with verse 1 and walk through to verse 22. New creation new power, new mission. Look at God's word with me, and, and so let me encourage you, keep your Bibles open as we walk through the text together. Some of the verses will appear on screen, a lot of them won't, so make sure your, your Bible is open. We have extra ones in the pew in front of you if you, if you need them. John chapter 20, and let's begin with verse one. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw that the linen cloths, the, saw, the, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was, was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you've put him and I, I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have yet, not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She told him what he had said to her. When it was evening, 
on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into this incredible chapter this morning, we, we pray that you, your Spirit would, would open our eyes to behold the wonders of your word. And Lord, that by the power of the Spirit that we would be caught up in the wonder of, 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 of what the resurrection means for us today. Lord, would you show us that today? Lord, would you minister to our hearts and encounter us right now as only you can? And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright has said this, ask people around the world what they think is the biggest day of the year for Christians. Most will say Christmas. The true answer is Easter. If it hadn't been for Easter, nobody would have ever dreamed of celebrating Christmas. That is so true. Without the resurrection, there would be nothing especially noteworthy about the birth of Jesus or the death of Jesus. But because he rose, we know that the baby that was born in Bethlehem was the son of God. It's because he rose that we know that the man who was hanging on that cross was paying the price for our sins and that he gives new creation to us. He makes us new creations. And that's where we begin in John 20 with new creation. So I want us to look at, at the first verse that we read a few moments ago. Verse one, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, notice those words, on, on the first day. All four gospel writers put it that way for a purpose. What they're stressing is that, is that this is the first day of a new creation. This is the first day of a new beginning for the world. But see, Mary Magdalene doesn't know that at this point. And so notice again in verse 1, it says that she came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now on one level, John is just kind of giving us an accurate reporting of the facts. It literally was still dark when she got to the tomb. But if you've read the Gospel of John, you know that John is the master of, of multi-layers of, of meaning. And that's the case here as well. We're going to talk about it. So even at the beginning of his, of his gospel, John is stressing that Jesus is bringing a new creation. John begins his gospel in John 1.1 1, 1, with, with, with the same three words as the beginning of the Bible. 
Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How does John begin his gospel? In the beginning was the word. He's talking about Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So Genesis 1.1 is about creation. And John 1.1, John is saying that Jesus is bringing a, a new creation. Let's talk about Genesis 1 again. Because what happens right after Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and then what? It says, and, and, and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and God said let there be light now on the first day of new creation Mary comes to the tomb while it is covered in darkness but what she's going to discover is that new creation has come and God is going to light up the darkness. Jesus is, is risen. But again, she doesn't understand any of that at this point. She comes to the tomb in literal darkness, but, but darkness is also an accurate description of, of, of what was going on inside of, of Mary Magdalene at this point. For her, she was experiencing the dark night of the soul on the inside. And this is a woman who had known so much darkness in her life. This is not the same Mary that we looked at last week in, in, in John 11, Mary of Bethany, the sister of Lazarus. She said, this is a totally different person. They're often confused. But Mary Magdalene was a woman whose life had been utterly transformed by Jesus. Luke 8 tells us that Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. This is a woman who had been in utter chains and, 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 and bondage. Of, of, of demon possession, and, and Jesus had, had, had healed her, uh, delivered her, given her her life back, given her new life, and she became one of his most committed followers. She was all in. And, and the Gospels tell us that when he was hanging on, on the cross, that Mary Magdalene was there as one of the eyewitnesses watching him die. And when she saw Jesus die, it was like darkness had descended in her life once, once again. And so she comes now to the tomb in, in literal darkness, but that also describes what's happening in her on, 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 the, on the inside as well. The first thing that she sees when she gets to the tomb is that the stone has been rolled away. But when she sees that, she is not thinking Jesus is risen from the dead. That is not even a thought for her at this point. No, the, what she thinks when she sees that the stone has been moved, she believes that, that, that there's been foul play because grave robbery was a, a big thing 
in those days. And what grave robbers were after were the expensive linens that people were buried with and the spices that they were buried with. And we know from John 19 that when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus buried Jesus, they buried him in incredibly expensive linen and just a, a, a bevy of expensive spices. It was a burial fit for a king. And so when she sees the stone has been removed, she's thinking, oh no, you know, grave robbers have been, have been at work. One of the absolute saddest things in my journey as a pastor has been to, to conduct the funeral services of, of, of little children. And I'll never forget in one particular um, time, this, this little toddler had died incredibly tra tragically and just walking with this young couple who, who were absolutely torn apart by grief beyond comprehension. And at the grave, they had put this precious little child's favorite toy on the grave, and it was a Tickle Me Elmo, which was like a popular toy at the time. And within a day or two, someone had come and, and, and snatched it away and taken it away from the grave. It was just like this, this final cruel blow to, to them. And, and that's what Mary is thinking at this point. When she, when she sees the stone has been removed, she's thinking, oh no, grave robbers have come. You know, they've tampered with the body. You know, they've stolen things. It's just like pours salt in the wound. But then she, she looks in and she doesn't even see the body and then she really freaks out and she just runs. The Bible says that she just takes off and runs and she goes and she finds Peter and John and then they take off running. And, and, and most scholars believe that John was younger and so he outruns Peter and John gets to the tomb first and then verse five tells us what, what happens. It says, stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there. Now, John knows at that point, whatever it is that's going on, this is not grave robbery. Because the whole point of grave robbery was to steal those linen cloths. But he, look, he stoops down and he sees that the grave clothes, they're all still there. And then what happens? Verses 6 and 7, then following him. Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. And the wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. Now think about what we saw last week in, in, in John 11. We talked about when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And remember when, 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 when Lazarus came out of the tomb, what, what was it like? John eleven forty four 44 says, the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. So when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he was like a mummy. I mean, he's like, he's bound, you know, all, all over, and he's just try, he's trying to walk, and he's, 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 he's stiff, he's bound up. Not so with, with Jesus. No, all the linen cloths are right there, neatly. It's, it's as if the body just has passed right through the grave clothes. And at this point, something 
begins to dawn on John. And we see it in verse 8. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John, then also went in, saw, and believed. Has that happened in your life? That's the moment of new life. That's, that's God opening the eyes of his heart and making him a, a, a new creation. He, he, he believed. Now, after that, the two men returned to where they had come from, but, but Mary Magdalene comes again to the tomb. And, and she still has no clue what has happened. And it says that Mary Magdalene gets to the tomb, and this time she looks in and she sees two men. And it's not Peter and John. <laughs> this is two angels. And one of the angels asks her a question. Why are you crying? And listen, the angels weren't seeking information. <laughs> no, this was like a gentle, loving rebuke. What they're, what they're saying when they say, why are you crying? What they're really saying is, why are you crying when you should be dancing? <laughs> this is not the time for crying. This is the time for rejoicing. And, and she, she blurts out, because they've taken my Lord, and I, I don't know where they've taken him. And just as she's talking, she senses someone behind her. Verse 14 tells us what happens, what happens next. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? So Jesus asks her two questions. The first one is the same question as the angels. Why are you crying? The second one is, who is it that you're seeking? New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this, the second question, who is it that you're seeking, is an invitation to reflect on the kind of Messiah she was expecting and thus to widen her horizons and to recognize that grand as her devotion to him was, her estimate of him was still far too small. Who are you seeking today? Who do you think Jesus is? Maybe your horizons need to expand. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she knows. She knows. And this takes us back to something that Jesus had said to his, his followers in, in John 10, 3 and 4. He calls his own sheep by name. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. My little puppy Jeter turned one this week, and, and it's hard to believe that last Easter I had absolutely no clue that we were going to get a, a puppy. And I am so thankful to my two sweet daughters for prevailing on us to, to get him because now we are inseparable. And he follows me everywhere. And he knows he is loved, and he knows his name, and he knows my voice. And see, even though the, the glorified body of Jesus is different, and she doesn't recognize him at first, 
when he says her name, she knows the voice of her master. Listen, let Jesus call your name today. Let him make you a new creation. New creation. The second thing that we see here is new power. New power. So let's look at verse 17. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. So what on earth is going on here? Is it that, that Jesus doesn't like being touched? Not at all. All kinds of indications. He is very, very affectionate. So why is he telling her not, not, to, not to, to, to cling to him? By the way, this tells us something about his glorified body. It was physical, right? So Jesus' glorified body, it's transformed, but it's physical. He could be touched. He could be uh, hugged. He could eat and things like that. But yet his glorified body can also pass through locked doors and, and suddenly appear, right? We talked last week about when Lazarus was raised, he, he was raised with a, a body that was not yet glorified because he was going to experience death again. Not so with Jesus. When Jesus was raised, he was raised with a glorified body, right? Never to die again. When Christ comes again and we are raised as believers, we're going to be raised with glorified and perishable bodies that will, that will never be subject to death. They'll be physical, but they will be imperishable, right? And, and that's, the, that's the case here. So he could be touched and hugged and, and, and Mary is, is clinging to him. And he says, don't cling to me because I'm, 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 I'm going to be ascending. So what in the world is, is that about? See, what Jesus is, is doing is that, that Jesus is, is bringing her back to something that he had told his followers the night before he went to the cross. And we see it in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And so what Jesus is saying to her here, he wants her to begin accepting the fact and understanding the fact that, that he is going to be ascending, but that that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because it's after he ascends that he, the Holy Spirit will be sent and poured out on her and, and, and all believers. And so in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, right before he ascends, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this tells us something else. Why is the Holy Spirit poured out after the ascension of Jesus? Because we need to be empowered for the mission. We get this new power, the power of the Holy Spirit, but for what purpose? For the mission. That's the third thing that we see here, a new mission. And for Mary Magdalene, that mission begins immediately. Jesus tells her to go, go and tell in verse 17. And then in verse 18, it says that Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Now listen, she is such a model 
for us in this respect because she does exactly what Jesus tells her to do. Jesus tells her to, to, to go and tell. And what does Mary Magdalene do? She goes and she tells. You know, Jesus in his ministry just elevated the worth and the dignity of women in so many ways, just far, far, far beyond the, the first century culture in which they were, were living at, at the time. And, and this is just a beautiful example of that because Mary is like the first sent one. <laughs> She's like the first one sent out to go and to bear witness, to go and tell. And she is such a model for us in that respect. So that's what we're called to do. Well, the, the, the men at this point, they're still, they're huddled behind locked doors. Uh, we see it in verses 19 and, and 20. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And now he tells them more about the, the mission. Verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So first of all, he gives them a mission. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, right? What are we sent to do? To, to, to be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, right? But in order to do that, who do we need? Who do we need? The Holy Spirit. And so it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. In, in both Hebrew and Greek, the words for uh, breath and wind and spirit. It's like the same, it's the same word, right? Now let's go back to creation again. Go back to Genesis. So what happens when, when God creates human beings in creation? He, he breathes into them the breath of life, right? That's creation. What happens in new creation? In, in new creation, the Holy Spirit, right? The wind of God, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit is breathed upon us and he gives new life, right? He opens, he opens our minds and our hearts to see who Jesus is and to repent of our sins and to trust in him. And so he, we, we are given new life by the power of the Spirit, right? And then we're sent out in the power of the Spirit. So God saves us by the power of the Spirit and then he sends us out in the power of the Spirit. That's the, the mission. Now what does that mean? Very practically, it means waking up in the morning and understanding that you are sent. That you are sent as an, as an agent of God as an ambassador for Christ. It, it, means, it, begin, it means moving through your life with your eyes wide open, sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, ready to tell the good news, ready to speak of Jesus and what he's done, ready to do works of love 
and his name that will, will bring glory to him. It, it means that our lives become about pointing to him, bringing glory to him. In, in the Netflix series, The Crown, there's an episode in which Queen Elizabeth uh, goes overseas and, and so she, she leaves her sister, Princess Margaret, to perform some of her official duties back home. But, but as Margaret is going about performing the, these duties in, in, in her sister's stead, Princess Margaret begins to kind of show off and draw attention to herself. And the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, comes to, comes to he's concerned about this, and he comes to, to visit her, and he says to Princess Margaret, Your, your Royal Highness, when, 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 you are, when you perform your official duties, you are not you. And she says, of, of course I'm me. And Churchill says, the crown. That's what they've come to see. Not you. And listen, your life is meant to be about something so much bigger than you. You were made by God and for God. You were made, your life is made, you were made to point to him. It, to, for his honor and glory. And his desire is to, to take you as one of his own and make you a new creation by the power of his spirit and then send you out on mission and the power of the spirit so that you are representing him and pointing to him and telling other people about him and doing works of love in his name that will bring glory and honor to him. And as you do that, you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel and, and how it transforms, how it just revolutionizes our whole purpose in life. And as we just continue to, to bow and, and reflect before the Lord right now, listen, I would ask you, wh wh who are you seeking? Who, who do you think Jesus is? Listen, he is a living Lord. And he can be your Lord, your King, your Savior. And that's offered to you as a free gift, but it's like any gift. It must be received. You must receive Christ personally. I want to invite you to do that. Turn to Jesus and trust him right now. Welcome him into your life. Surrender your life to him. Take your hands off the controls of your life and, and yield your life to Jesus right now as your Savior and Lord and, and King and if you're here as a believer, listen, you need to understand you are sent. You are sent on mission. Life is about more than you. It's about him. It's for his glory. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, uh, as, we, as we go forth as your ambassadors representing you and speaking the good news about you in a world that so desperately needs to hear it.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 